Good morning. Stacy and Rick, that was so good. Thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand or them a hand or both. I had a uh, old friend reach out. Um, it's been a, it's been a while now, but an old friend reached out, and uh, he and I used to ride together um, to school over at UNCW. So I I grew up here, and um, we actually would plan our schedules together so that we could uh, surf in the morning before classes. Um, and, and then we'd show up at school, usually with sandy feet and barefoot, and I uh, can't believe the professors even let us in. But um, I really loved Jesus then, and this guy reached out to me, um, and, and he actually said, you know, Michael, one of the most powerful things that happened to me at that point in my life, because I, I was either not a believer or just coming into it, um, is that we would be driving down the road in your um, ridiculous-looking little blue Nissan pickup truck had 260,000 miles on it. And he said, and all of a sudden, what you do is you just start praying. You just start talking to God. And it wasn't like polished or rehearsed, or, but I actually saw for the first time that um, Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. And so when you all come in here, um, or if you join us online, the idea of um, singing is not just song. It's not just that you would be um, entertained or that melody would be beautiful, although Rick and, and Stacy uh, were beautiful. But the idea is that it would actually be a space and a place where you can bring um, some of those hurts and some of those things in a very unedited way and go, Lord, here am I. And I love, Stacy the way you actually led us through that because you, you actually uh, begin to introduce us to this whole idea of when something is hurting or when something is sore or when you can't figure something out, it becomes this safe place where you, got it. you can go, God, I don't know that I understand. I don't even know that I like it. But I choose to praise you in the middle of it. And that's really what church is about. That's really what Jesus is about. It becomes this relationship with him and this relationship with one another. And it's around that um, that I actually want to talk today. So um, we're, we're shifting out of um, a whole section kind of on parables, the parables of Jesus. And we're going into another little section that I'm just going to call seven because our Jesus, my Jesus, your Jesus, said seven things when he was crucified. So crucified uh, doesn't technically mean that when he was killed. It means when he, the moment his, those nails were pounded through probably his wrists, right here and here, and then through his feet, and then the, the Romans would have actually stood up that cross, um, and probably with ropes they would have hoisted it up, and then it would have into that hole, and his body would have gone. <clears throat> so it's being crucified. That was the moment um, when it happened. And so from the time that those nails were being pounded in and that cross was stood up, Jesus said seven things. And if the God of all the universe uh, says seven things as he is literally becoming the lamb that covers my sin and yours, then I think it's worth our time to sort of study and to look at. And so what I want to actually do today is take um, the first of his seven last sayings, and we're going to look at each of those seven last sayings, and the very final thing that he said, we'll look at on Easter morning, which is like seven weeks from now, I think. Sound good? So he, he, this, is, um, this is out of Luke 23, but all of history um, uh, 
fulcrums, so a fulcrum, I mean, it's almost like a seesaw, but all of history um, has a fulcrum point on when Jesus went to that cross and died and then resurrected. And so I want to actually take a look at those sayings, and this first saying is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And I want to um, give Old Testament context, sort of broader context, and then I want to actually take um, the, the theology of it and then make it practical. So I'm going to get up in your mess a little bit today, okay? Does that sound good? So the idea is that you would actually interact with the Lord in, in the Bible. So we're going to go big picture. Um, we're going to understand the context of what Jesus is saying when he says, Lord, forgive them. And then I'm going to go fiercely practical and attempt to meddle with the way you interact with neighbors and spouses and roommates and friends and other people because I think this is so powerful. And in fact, for me, uh, probably the very fulcrum point of Christianity rests on, Father, forgive them. It's this powerful thing. Every other um, faith, every other uh, religion, if you will, um, is about uh, cleaning up at some level the outside or modifying external behavior in such a way that I earn right standing with God. What's so transformative about faith in Jesus is it's actually about acknowledging that you're bankrupt and coming to him and going, Lord, forgive me, so that you can actually hear him go, you are forgiven. It's a a total inverse. Christianity is the only um, faith, if you will, where God actually comes to earth in in a restless and um, uh, relentless pursuit of us as people. And you get to see this love of God and the pursuit of God and the sort of never stopping, never giving up. I'm coming after you. I'm chasing you down to find you and to rescue you. Whereas every other faith is about um, modifying external things so that you can please and earn your way into some paradise. Christianity actually is a totally lousy uh, religion. Do you know that? I wouldn't even call it a religion. When I was in college, um, I started college in 99, and I spoke for a number of the... um, I was at UNCW, UNC Beach right over here, and... um, we, uh, I spoke for a number of the Christian um, groups on campus, and that freshman year, I had a professor uh, who was a religion professor, and we were studying the Abrahamic religions, and so we were looking at, at all these different faiths and things, and uh, he knew who I was, and he'd come after me every single day in front of everybody. I was like, oh my goodness, here we go again. I like dreaded going to this class. But what I kept coming back to that he could not get his hands around is, Christianity is not a religion. It is not. It is a relationship with a holy God where he paid it all, and he's actually forgiven me and made me new, and I get to walk with him in a daily context so that when I'm driving down the street in my old beat-up Nissan pickup truck, I can go, Lord Jesus. And have a conversation with him. And this guy wrestled with me and he couldn't get his head around it. And he couldn't understand what in the world I was even talking about. I was going, it's not a religion, man. It's a relationship. And you're missing the boat. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he'd hammer me down. Now, so I want to open this up. Because I think this is literally the fulcrum point of all of, um, all of, of this Christian faith. is Father forgive them. So let's, let's set the table with a handful of things. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. 
crucified again, pounded nails, here, here, and through his feet. And one theologian that I love actually says that this statement we're going to read in Luke 23, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He quoted it again and again and again as those nails were actually pounded in. That he didn't just say it one time, but he kept saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These seven statements happened from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. when Jesus finally breathed his last. And I think I need to at least educate you on crucifixion just a second. Crucifixion um, is the most inhumane um, and ugly way a human can die, period, in all of history. All of history. The Romans devised this. They were just brilliant at, at the most painful, gruesome way to die. So after those nails were pierced through your hands and through your feet, um, you would think you would die. I mean, you, you sort of have in your brain, well, surely you die because of the wounds you've inflicted or whatever. No, 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 no. These are non-lethal wounds. So as you're hanging on the cross, you have to push up on your feet and pull up by your hands to breathe. So you'd go... <gasps> And then you do it again. And people would hang on a cross uh, two days, three days, some, some scholars even say four or five days, and you would actually die um, of, of uh, drowning in your own lungs. You would actually die of dehydration because you're out under the sun. So this thing takes multiple days, and it is absolutely a gruesome and horrible way to die. Now, let's back off from that just for a second. Um, And then let me big picture this for a minute. Uh, The most beautiful part of divine love is the freedom it affords. The most difficult part of our humanity is the freedom we have before God. Now, what am I saying? Think about child rearing for a second. If you don't have kids, imagine you do. Or think of somebody who does. The most difficult part, I think, of child rearing is actually training a young child to manage their freedom. Think of the classic American tale. If a kid doesn't learn to manage their own freedom, they go to college or they go away to their first job or whatever they're going to do, and what happens? They go bonkers, right? They fall off the deep end. And what that begins to indicate is parents, uh, we are enforcing sort of external things on our kids without probably tending to and teaching them to manage the more important things of the heart. Follow me? So uh, somebody said it like this, and I loved it. If you want to raise a Pharisee, teach your kid to perform externally and to manage their behavior and ignore their heart. If you want to raise someone who authentically loves Jesus and can interact with him, you create a safe place that when that child fails, and guess what? They will. That they can go, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And you create a safe place as a parent, as a mom or as a dad, by when you fail and you will. If you haven't, just wait. But you create that safe place by actually being able to go to that child. Amelia's three. Um, Ezra's 10 months. I haven't done this yet, but already with Amelia, I've had to look at her and say, baby, daddy was impatient. Would you forgive me? Now, I'm going to step back and we're going to do some big theology and then we're going to get real practical. Okay? All right. Here goes. 
I want to do uh, four kind of settings of the table, and uh, that is no problem. Don't you guys feel bad back there? We are thrilled you're here. Um, number one, uh, setting. So Passover week um, was happening in Jerusalem right now, okay? This is the, the week that when Jesus came in to be crucified, it's literally Passover week. So, so what that means is uh, somewhere between 200,000 and a million Jews, uh, 10 to 50% of the entire population of the country would have gone to Jerusalem to celebrate when the people were delivered out of Egypt and they slaughtered lambs uh, to cover. So the blood was literally covering them as they left Egypt. Um, and the people are coming now in modern, uh, modern I say, in Jesus' day to Jerusalem to commemorate this festival. And, and Jesus is killed. Um, his blood is shed. He becomes the Lamb of God at the very same time the Passover lambs were being killed. It's really fascinating when you look at the actual timeline of Passover week. <clears throat> Um, in, in Exodus 10.22, if you want to make a note, Moses stretched out his hands toward the sky. So this is when Moses is delivering um, the people of God from slavery in Egypt. Now, those of us who are in the bondage of sin right now, guess what? We're in slavery. Very similar parallel. So Moses is delivering the people out, and he actually, the very last um, sort of sign and wonder that Moses performed in the sight of all Egypt was that he um, stretched out his hands and he, uh, he prayed, and total darkness covered Egypt for three days. Now what's fascinating is uh, if you have read this passage and Jesus being crucified, at, at 12 noon, do you remember what covered the earth? Darkness. Darkness. So just like three days of darkness happened before those Passover lambs were originally slaughtered, you have three hours of darkness that happen uh, from 12 noon to 3 before Jesus actually dies. Fascinating view of sort of Hebrew parallelism. So Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. He is becoming the Passover lamb. All of history sort of, uh, again, fulcrums on this one point. So uh, <clears throat> this darkness, um, I would actually view it almost as um, all of creation uh, sort of sympathizing and grieving and groaning under the death of its creator. Was that an eclipse? I've read different people. No, 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 no. It was a supernatural act of God because it was a darkness that shrouded the entire earth and all of creation was groaning under the weight of the Savior King that was dying. So darkness covered the earth. In John 1.29, John the Baptist actually cries out and he says, look, the Lamb of God. So Jesus is becoming this Lamb of God. Um, John said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is fulfilling this Passover. So all the Old Testament, um, I actually had somebody uh, reach out to me this week because they're in their one-year Bible. I don't know if you guys are doing your one-year Bible with us, but we're all in Leviticus. And they were asking me about the festivals and all the, the laws, and man, this is wild. And we were talking about Jesus fulfilling the Passover. So that's kind of the setting that I want you to be grappling with in your mind. Um, Third thing, there's a timetable here, um, and I kind of mentioned it, but I think it's very important. Uh, Jesus uh, would have been crucified at Golgotha on that place called the Skull at almost the exact time that um, the high priests were or killing um, the, the uh, sacrificial lambs. So Jesus is becoming that lamb. Does that make sense? Okay, it's uh, important. Then I think the other thing that's important is the actual geographic location of where all this is happening. And it's a place called the Skull. Um, and it's, if, if you can look at it in a couple different ways, but you've heard it called uh, Calvary. You heard that? 
You've got Calvary, you've got Golgotha, you've got the place called the Skull. Um, those all come from Greek and Aramaic and, and Latin Vulgate, but regardless, uh, literally, Jesus is crucified um, on this hill that may have looked like a skull. There's a place that, that looked like a skull um, right outside of the old gates of Jerusalem. That may have been where it had taken place, or that may have been because um, of the gruesome nature of crucifixion. I don't know. I don't know that it really matters, other than um, he died at this place called the Skull. Okay. All right, now, I want to read, um, and I'm going to do something you should never do in a sermon. I'm going to read too much of the Bible. Can you imagine? I can't believe that preacher. I don't know what his problem is. He read us the Bible. That was a joke, guys. Thank you. I'm glad you got it, Missy. All right, Exodus 12, verses 21 and 22. If you're taking notes, you can just scribble a note. If you're scrolling, go with me. But I'm going to dance through a couple of verses because I don't think you can fully understand what Jesus means by Father, forgive them, if you don't get sort of the context. Yeah? All right, let's dig. Uh, Exodus 12, verses 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Now, what is Moses slaughtering? A lamb. Who does Jesus become? The lamb, crucial to our faith. Verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin. So they would have killed the lamb. They would have taken blood and filled it up with the basin. So dip the hyssop into the basin where the blood is and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. And none of you shall go outside the door of your house again till morning. Now this is a very important picture. And Stacy actually illustrated it beautifully in, in worship, and I'm going I'm to connect the two. Now, if you're standing under the doorframe and the blood goes here, where is the blood? Above you. And if it goes on this side, where is it? And if it goes on this side, where is it? And then, I'm not going to read it to you, but Moses actually instructed them to eat the lamb. So then where was it? So you literally have the blood of the lamb. This Jesus is over you. He is beside you, and now he is inside of you. So what Stacy was actually doing in worship as she led us through some of that is she was inviting you to sort of step into a place and go, Lord Jesus, there's a hurt, there's a frustration, there's a disappointment. Would you come in? I, I surrender it to you. I give it to you. Would you come in and impact and fill this place with your life and with your love and with your blood? And that's where we as Christians have to live. What did my friend sitting in that truck call and tell me? It was when I would just pray. Some of you don't pray out loud because you think it has to be edited and perfect and it has to sound nice. Guess what? My favorite prayers are the people who aren't edited and polished because I know it's from the heart. Far more important than things being slick and polished and looking good and sounding good. I want to know that it's authentic. I want to know that it's real. I want to know that your heart is engaged in it, and I'd rather a choppy prayer. And I'd actually say to some of you, engage in prayer. Take the risk of being unedited, being unpolished, being authentic. <clears throat> okay, so uh, a geographic... Oh, oh, good. I'm back in Exodus 12. I lost my place. Okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to flip over, and this is important context again. I'm in Isaiah 53. Um, this was written 500 years before Jesus, so very important. Um, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Who is this? Now, in 1947 or 48, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls were uncovered on the banks of the Dead Sea in 
Israel. That's exactly right. What that told us um, was that there were uh, liberal theologians of the day who were saying uh, that uh, Isaiah had been written in arrears. In other words, after Jesus died, Isaiah was written looking back at the facts of how he died. And when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, what that clearly refuted um, and demonstrated to all of the scholarly world was that uh, the Bible um, was accurate and it was, it was written up 500 years before Jesus came. And so it was like this big kind of boom, drop the mic moment in front of the face of all the liberal scholars of the day who were trying to say the Bible was basically a, a hoax. It was an amazing discovery. So this is so important. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. What's the punishment? Death. Yeah, cross. Absolutely. And by his wounds we are healed. What are his wounds? By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him. So the Lord here means God, Yahweh God. The Lord has laid on him. Who's him? Jesus. The iniquity of us all. So my sin is laid on Jesus. Your sin is laid on. But there's a catch. You have to come to the foot of the cross and go, Lord Jesus, I believe, I see, would you forgive me? I surrender my life, and I choose to receive. That's the essence of how you come to faith in Jesus. And what I'm going to actually begin to show you is that's the essence of how you continue your Christian journey day by day. Yeah? All right. Glad you're with me. Here we go. Okay. Um, So that's Isaiah 53. Now, I'm going to flip over. I'm going to do two um, sort of rapid verses, and then we're going to get to the crux of where we're heading, which is actually why Jesus was dying on the cross. Um, Have you ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? Oh, you have. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Okay, Matthew 6, verses 11 and 12. Give us today our daily... Okay, that's going to be really important. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Some translations say forgive us our, um, our, our uh, transgressions. Um, and, and some actually uh, says forgive us our sins. And in Luke 11, that's the other place where the Lord's Prayer happens, uh, we're going we're gonna to tie those two together because those three words are very, very, very important. And we don't have a word in the English language that can actually um, reveal what Jesus is saying when he said this. All right? Okay, hang with me. Here we go. Um, Now I'm going to flip over to something that Jesus said because he's literally fulfilling it. Uh, This is Luke 6, um, verse 27. But you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. We like to do that. Do good to those who hate you. Do we like that? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other also so they can slap you. Oh, my goodness. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold it and give them your shirt also. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, we find Jesus on the cross 
And as they're pounding those nails, or right after they've stood the cross up, we're not exactly sure, he's going to say this next thing that we're about to read in Luke 23. And he's literally fulfilling and doing the things he's preached for three years. I mean, Jesus was such a man of uh, continuity. I love that. Because he didn't just say it, he actually lived it. He lived it. Oh, that we could be a church like that. Okay, here we go. Luke 23, we're going to pick up in verse 32. Um, The other two men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, the hill where he was killed, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Here it is. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. If you're interested, you can make a note, Psalm 22, 18. That's a literal fulfillment of that verse. Verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers came up and they mocked him and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Lord, as we unpack this uh, little passage, Father, there is something so powerful about our Christian faith right here because it's about receiving forgiveness from you and then extending forgiveness to those around us. And Lord, I pray that as we unpack this, that you would unlock deep meaning and life change in every one of us. Lord, would you influence uh, roommate situations and marriage situations and friend situations and family situations and parent-child situations. Father, would you flood into this as we look at this with relational connection as people get their uh, relationship with you and then with one another straight. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about here is what is forgiveness? I mean, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. What, what is he even talking about? And I think there's a common assumption that we'd have to point out here that you, you don't extend forgiveness until the violator acknowledge that, acknowledges that they have violated. In other words, think of kids. You know, if you, if you have kids and you're in a preschool and somebody does something to the other kid, the teacher usually takes one over and makes one apologize before the other kid says, it's okay, or you're forgiven, or whatever is going to happen. In other words, we tend to think that we don't have to extend forgiveness until it's asked for. Did you ask for Jesus' forgiveness before he died? Did I? What becomes absolutely um, um, revolutionary is Jesus extended forgiveness to me and to you where I'm going to start meddling in our lives. There's a common human assumption also that if the wrong is huge, it's sort of thought that it's impossible to forgive. And we can even look back over the centuries and and hear the cry that echoes at different points, never forget and never forgive. And Jesus yet teaches something that is is absolutely um, contrary to all of that. In fact, I think we'd be remiss not to at least mention that when we look at forgiveness uh, and ask sort of what it is, how do people uh, forgive things and deal with things that are, are horrid and unjust like genocide or unjust wars or slavery? How do people walk through that and actually appropriate and forgive? 
I mean, that is so hard. And then if we make it personal, what if someone's dealing with having been abused or raped or neglected or uh, treated horribly? How do you actually forgive that? How do you walk through that? How do you uh, deal with that? And here's what I would say or begin to say is uh, Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. So so what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is when God takes Michael's sin um, or Daniel's sin and he goes, you are covered and forgiven. You're let off the hook. You deserve something, um, a a punishment or a discipline, and I get let off the hook and you get let off the hook because we came before King Jesus and said, Lord, would you forgive me? And forgiveness is extended. So the cross becomes an eternal transaction between King Jesus um, and Father God. So I would actually say to you, the moment that the fall happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when Adam and Eve uh, fall and they get pushed out of the garden, I think God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit instituted this um, redemption plan in which they knew Jesus would ultimately come and become the Passover lamb, and he'd die for you and for me. And then he would be raised from the dead, and so we could appropriate that life of Christ sort of into us and live in it and through it. So, uh, number one, what is forgiveness? It is, it is receiving um, that which we have not earned or worked for. Number two, uh, what is the true nature of sin, and then what do we need forgiveness from? And this is where it gets a little, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to get practical, I think. Um, if you look at uh, Matthew um, 6 and Luke 11, which is the Lord's Prayer, and I actually read it to you, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. That some of that says, another version says trespasses, another version says sin. But when you get into that, um, the word debts that, that we totally miss in the English language, um, and, and you'd actually have to dig way back to the first three Syriac um, dialect, the, the, first, uh, the first three versions of the Bible were written in a Syriac, which was an Aramaic language. And in all three, the word there that we've translated debts or sin or trespasses actually means um, sort of two things. It means um, sins uh, that we have committed, uh, so um, most people are real familiar with this. This is like um, things that I shouldn't have said but did, things that I shouldn't have done but did, things that I did and wish I didn't do, all that kind of stuff. But then there's also sins that we have omitted. So uh, think about like this. Um, I have, uh, Abby and I have a, a mortgage on our home. It's a debt on our home. And we cut a check and pay it every month. Now, um, have I paid that debt in full? So it represents something I have to pay um, in the future. You see what I'm saying? It's something I haven't yet fulfilled. It's something I haven't yet um, done, and it comes due the first of every month, and guess what I have to do again? Pay it, okay? Now, so when when, uh, this was first written, when Jesus would have said it in Aramaic, what he's literally saying is there are are sins um, of, of commission, things you've done, but there's also sins of omission, things you've failed to do. So if you go back to last week, we were talking about Simon. I use these same two scenarios. We were talking about Simon over here and the woman, the sinful woman. And he was actually, the sinful woman knew what she'd done, right? It was evil. He was pointing to Simon's sins of omission, what you failed to do. 
So this is a whole like notion for us, I think, as Christians, um, because this what the word here is not simply um, debts. It really has to be debts, trespasses, and sin. That's what is meant here when God says, um, give, a, uh, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. What Jesus was saying was debts, trespasses, and sin. And sins are trespasses, are, are, are sins of sort of commission, things we've committed or done. And then debts are sins of omission, sort of unfulfilled obligations either to God or to our fellow human beings. Okay, uh, I drive out of the Home Depot parking lot and there's a homeless person there. What do I do? We all face that a lot, don't we? Now, be real, let, me, let me cut a line here. I'm not suggesting that every time you pass a homeless person, you need to get out of your car or you need to give something or whatever. I've done a whole study on this, and my people who are really into it would go, don't ever walk by, but also don't ever give money. Give food. Okay? But that's, the point of this is not that. The point is actually, um, if God has called you to do something, reach out to a neighbor. Share Jesus with a coworker. Be bold with somebody that you don't want to be bold with. Go over and do a big act of service or love to someone over here, and you resist, and you don't do it. Is that sin or not? That's a sin of omission. And see, religious people um, or, 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 or very um, sort of uh, pious people, um, self-righteous people who, guess what? I don't like. I don't like. I don't like it when I'm that way, and I don't like it when other people are that way. But, but when someone is that way, they sort of look at the things that they've not done, uh, and, and they go, well, I don't, and they usually have a whole list. I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I'm not, I'm not so I'm, I'm pretty good. And I want to say, hello, your ladder's on the wrong wall. Stop comparing yourself to other people. No, no, no. You compare yourself to the Lord Jesus. Get your ladder on the right wall. Get your ladder on the right tree. Let him set the absolute benchmark for your life. And that's where you can know or not know whether you're uh, fulfilling both sins of commission or sins of omission. So uh, let me uh, begin to get practical here because I think this is, um, this is important. Uh, at our house, Abby and I work really hard on this whole idea of forgiveness, okay? When I bump into somebody at the grocery store, I usually say, sorry, whoops, whoops-a-daisies. Abby makes fun of me for saying that, but I say that, whoops-a-daisies, like my grandma. Uh, whoops-a-daisies, sorry. I would say, oh, sorry. When I do something against someone that's wrong, if I hurt Daniel... And it comes to my attention by way of the Holy Spirit, or maybe Daniel comes and tells me, or maybe Missy tells me. And I go to Daniel, and I go, Daniel, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Now, this is really important, because sorry, in some ways, shirks responsibility. Whereas forgiveness, it's way different when I go, oh, Daniel, sorry you felt that way. Whose responsibility am I making it? His. But when I go to Daniel, and I go, Daniel, I recognize that when I did the X and so, it may have made you feel this way. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? You, you see how different that is? Because what suddenly that is doing is it's making the responsibility squarely on my shoulders. And when the responsibility is squarely on your shoulders and you come before the cross of Christ, guess what you find? Total forgiveness, total grace, total pardon. It is the most beautiful, mind-boggling thing in the world. 
let me speak to parents a second here. If you're not a parent, you might be one. If you're not a parent, maybe you know somebody who has one, whatever. You can think about it if you like. But if you want to raise a little Pharisee, put them in a perfect world and expect perfection out of them and beat them up every time they fail. Even beat them up verbally. I can't believe. Shame on you. Come on, parents, we do that. If you want to raise a child that fears God and that uh, wants relationship with him, then you put them in a place where it's safe to fail. But you require that they take responsibility and ask forgiveness. Not just sorry. Daniel, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? That is how you raise a little person. And guess what, parents? You have to model this. So when you mess up, I've already done this with my three-year-old, our three-year-old. When I mess up or I'm impatient, just did it the other day with little Amelia. I looked at Amelia and said, sweetie, daddy was impatient. Would you forgive me? I was wrong. Guys, this is so transformational if you can get this. It'll change the way you live with your roommates, your spouse, your friends. Uh, If you're single, it'll change the way you relate to your extended family and those around you. This is, if you can get the forgiveness of God and fully receive and drink deeply of him, and then you can get that you are called to be a vessel and an extension of his forgiveness to the people around you, it will change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your friendships. It'll change the people you relate to. Okay. Um, number three, how often do we need forgiveness? So let me just go back and recap a second. Number two, what is the nature of sin? Sin, uh, sin defined by Jesus is both the things we commit or the things we do and the things we omit or the things we fail to do or don't do. Exactly. Thank you. Now, how often do we need forgiveness? Let's look here back at Matthew 6. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. How often do you eat? Patrick, how often do you eat? A lot. Do you eat three meals a day? Paul, how about you? Maybe four. Okay, if you had snacks in, all right. So do we eat, what, two times, three times? I got to go have a whole bag of almonds before I go to bed. I'm munching at like 9.30. You know, if you add it all up, how often do you eat? Now, Jesus, the Jesus, my Jesus, connects uh, how often we eat our daily bread with our need for forgiveness. Now, how often do you as a Christian need forgiveness? How often? Continuously. I like this guy. Yes. Absolutely continuously. Jesus literally is likening uh, daily bread and how often you eat with how much you need to forgive and then how much you need to extend forgiveness. This is transformational if you can get it. What he's also saying here is we need this daily sort of uh, continual forgiveness for both the sins we've committed and the things we've omitted. Are there days where I get up and I'm grumpy and whatever, and I'm not as kind and gentle and loving and encouraging with our kids or with Abby as I want to be? Does that or could that fall into a sin of omission? The bar's really high, isn't it? 
See, what I'm even beginning to paint for you is the bar is so high that it, it actually drives us to our knees to go, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And then we exchange our busted life with the righteousness of Christ. And he lives in us and through us. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So you'll hear me say things like, um, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. I've been, who knows where I'm going, forgiven. I'm being forgiven, and I will be. Now, let's make it earthly. I will, or excuse me, I have forgiven other people. I am forgiving other people, and I will forgive other people. It is a continual. So how often do I need the Lord Jesus' forgiveness? Daily, continuously. How often am I also responsible and required to extend forgiveness to the people around me? Daily, continuously. Oh my goodness. I don't think Christians fully have this. Fourth thing I want to go into and I want to begin to get practical here is uh, forgiving others. Uh, I didn't read it, but in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, right after that Lord's Prayer, um, Jesus teaches us how to pray and then he issues a stern warning. Here's what he says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, now that would include sins of commission and sins of omission. Okay, well, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's right. But if you do not forgive other people their sins, this is scary, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy. So it comes with this obligation as we receive divine love and as we receive divine forgiveness, we are also called to be agents of it and extenders of that divine love and forgiveness. And there's a requirement, and I would actually say to you, um, if you find yourself consistently unable to forgive other people and extend forgiveness to other people, you may have to ask, have I fully drunk deeply and received the Lord's forgiveness for myself? Forgiveness is the release of anger or resentment. Um, but forgiveness, so we get, let's begin to get practical here, does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Some of you are with me somewhere. That's okay. Uh, let me go here. Forgiveness is vitally important for the mental, emotional, and spiritual health of the person who has been wronged. Um, rather than unforgiveness, which I would say to you, leaves a person in individual bondage. So when you forgive, who's it benefiting? You. You're the one who gets free. You're the one who is actually able to let go. Let's, let's go back to the, the passage and think about it with me a second. Jesus is crucified. When he goes, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Do you think he's including Pontius Pilate, who's just ordered him to die? Yes. Do you think he's including the Roman centurions who actually pounded the nails? Yes. Do you think he's including um, the uh, chief priests who brought him to Pontius? Yes. Now, did Jesus start a big relationship with them? 
was it offered? Yes. Is he offering? Can those people be forgiven too? Yes. Was it and is it his heart that those people be forgiven? Yes. But Jesus is not going to enter into deep and significant relationship with someone uh, who is not able to um, be safely in relationship with him. In other words, if someone is hurting Abby or I or our family, am I responsible to forgive them? Yes. Does that mean I need to allow them and include them in my circle of life? No. Follow me? Really interesting because one of the things I dug up on this is um, Pontius Pilate. I only found one historian that said this. I cannot validate it except for this one historian, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But one person said Pontius Pilate retired to a beautiful village um, in Italy, and he had a, a cottage that overlooked the sea, um, and it was in a village called Pompeii. Does anybody know what happened in Pompeii in 79 AD? Anybody? Somebody does. What? Yep, Vesuvius. Now, I'm, I have no idea whether Pilate gave his life to God or surrendered his heart to Jesus. I have no idea. I don't know what happened. But here's the point. Jesus um, does not expect us, God does not expect us to enter into a significant, deep, and meaningful relationship with people that are hurting us. He does require that we forgive them. That make sense? Okay, let's get real um, practical. A uh, couple things. Just because... Uh, you were the victim of some atro atrocity or even abuse does not mean that you need to stay and live like a victim. Do you know that? And the very act of forgiving, guess what it does? Sets you free. And you begin to let go of what happened to you. And you can begin to walk free. Is it a journey? Yes. Could it take years? Yes. You eat every... Might you have to forgive every... Yes. Might you have to forgive multiple times a day? Yes. Yes. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying the power and presence of God is available if you will surrender your heart and call on him to empower you to do so. Okay, so how do you get forgiveness? Here you are, you recognize you sinned. In the day, I'm a Christian man. Um, I walk with Jesus consistently. I love my wife. I love my kids. Something happened yesterday I had to ask Abby's forgiveness for. Pastor Michael sins? Yeah, if you didn't know that, you're at the wrong place. Now, how do I get forgiveness? Ask for it. First thing I'm doing, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? And then guess what I'm going to do? Abby, I was wrong. wrong. Would you? <laughs> I'm telling you. Now listen to me. This is so important. If you can begin to assimilate this into your relationships, all of them, you are pulling the very kingdom of heaven and the resurrection power of Christ Jesus into that sphere. I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and they said, are you telling me I'm wrong? And I said, no, I'm telling you I'm wrong. And I'm telling you the faster you get wrong before Jesus is the faster you get right. And the power and presence of God is able to work in and through your life. If you've never looked at someone and said, would you forgive me? I was wrong. You might need to try. 
Now, let's, let's talk about that just for a second. Psychology would tell us, and I, I'm more of a Bible guy than a psychology guy, but I, a lot of the psychology comes out of the Bible. But psychology tells us in a family unit, in a roommate unit, in a work unit, doesn't matter, any unit of human relationships, if one person defines themselves at a higher level and stays defined at that level, what happens to everybody else? Their eyes. Like even worldly psychology tells us that. Now, the key is the person has to stay defined at that level. So let's say you're in an unhealthy relationship at work or a roommate or a marriage. Let's say uh, you both just harbor sort of unforgiveness and bitterness towards one another and you get snappy with one another and you get sarcastic and passive aggressive or whatever and it all comes out. And let's say all of a sudden you recognize and you begin to deal with your sin and responsibility. Would you forgive me? So you're defining yourself at a higher level. If you can stay defined at that higher level, continue to deal with your mess, taking responsibility, asking forgiveness, what's going to happen to the rest of the unit? They will rise. It might take years. But you can change any... um, This is the power of God at work. You can change a family unit, um, a roommate unit, a work unit by defining yourself at that level, um, humbling yourself, beginning to ask forgiveness. It is like this. uh, It's the snowball effect. So how do we ask forgiveness? You ask, or, or how do we get forgiveness? You ask for it. I'd actually use a Paul word, a Pauline word. He would say appropriate. So you literally take something that God has made available through the resurrection of Christ Jesus, and you appropriate it, and you make it your own. So when we take communion, we're appropriating uh, the juice and the bread. We're appropriating the body and blood of Christ into our life. Go back to the start of this. Put the blood where? Over you, beside you, eat the lamb, in you. How do you appropriate forgiveness? You ask, but then you have to grab it and receive it by faith. Now, how do you give forgiveness? This is so important. How do you give forgiveness? Do you have to change the way you feel? No. This is really beautiful. Do you have to change the way you think? You can literally go, Lord, I don't like this situation. I don't like this person. I don't like what they've done. I don't like what's happened. And I choose by an act of my will to forgive that person. Would you empower me? And guess what you are calling on in that moment? The resurrection power of Christ Jesus and all of heaven to come into that place and that relationship and that wound in your heart. And you are extending forgiveness. And eventually your feelings and even your thinking will change. But guess how many times you might have to do it? Daily. Daily. Eat your daily bread and appropriate or extend forgiveness daily. All right, how do you deal um, with a difficult roommate or a difficult spouse? Let's shift. How do you deal with any roommate? How do you deal with a spouse? How do you deal with anybody you have to work with? How do you deal with any human relationship that you're in? What? Talk, that's good. And before you talk, it's really helpful if you actually extend forgiveness. Once. Daily. Continuously. That's what makes human relationships great. But it requires two people that will come together in humility of heart And go, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you empower me to forgive them? And I actually believe that relationship doesn't get real and doesn't get good 
until two people have come to a place where things absolutely break and fall apart and are able to ask each other's forgiveness, and then all of a sudden things start to get real. There's traction in the relationship, and all of a sudden the power and presence of our risen Jesus is able to come into that thing and bring healing and breathe life. That's when things start taking off. So if you're going out there, Michael, I'm sitting in a broken relationship, I've got good news for you. You can start today to call on the power of our risen Jesus and invite him into that situation. How do you deal with a difficult child? How do you deal with it? Forgive. And you may even need to ask forgiveness. Remember what I just said I did with my little three-year-old already? I am modeling for her that it's okay to be wrong. None of us are perfect. But I'm modeling for her that the way that you get right is to admit that you're wrong and go, Lord, would you forgive me? And I ask that little Amelia, Amelia, would you forgive me? And that's where the presence and power of Jesus comes. I would say, just as a signal in your own life, if you're dragging on with passive-aggressive sarcasm or frustration, I would say you have not. Come on. Forgiven. Let that be a sign. <clears throat> I also would want to say right here that there's a lot of Christians who seem to me to want to deny something that happened so that they think that by that denial it's going to empower them to forgive. You follow me? So I don't want to acknowledge how much I'm hurt or how much I've been devastated by something and I deny it and I deny it and I deny it instead of just calling it what it is. I've been hurt. I'm frustrated. Lord, would you empower me to forgive? It's in calling what sin what it is. Sin breaks relationships with God and with people. And I'm actually walking you through the uh, very elementary foundation of, of our Jesus as he taught, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. See, we as people, we as humans, can actually become not only recipients, but extenders of that forgiveness. Jesus, as he hung upon that cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. I don't think for a minute that that was an act of weakness. I think that that was the act of the greatest strength. When you're in your car by yourself and someone cuts you off and they do here in Wilmington don't they how do you respond is it easier to mouth off or is it easier to go father forgive them now I'm giving you a silly example but it is so much harder it requires so much more strength, so much more tenacity of will, so much more fortitude to go, Lord, would you empower me to forgive? Lord, would you empower me to let go? Lord, would you empower me to know that they probably didn't even know what they did? And not only once, but again and again and again. Listen to me. If you want health, in your relationships, in your life, this is the roadmap. 
appropriating the life and resurrection of our Jesus into your life. You may be sitting here and you may have stuff in your past. You'd go, I've been hurt or I've been abused. I've got some horrible things and I don't know how to get free. I would say, it's okay. Here's how you start. You go, Lord, I can't change the way I feel about that person or this situation. But I choose you, Jesus, and I would ask that you would empower me to forgive them and let them go. And you do it today, and you do it tomorrow, and you do it the next day. And in time, he begins to change your feelings. He begins to change the way you think. If you're in a relationship that's broken, it's the same thing. You define yourself at a higher level. You begin going to that person, going, would you forgive me? I was wrong. And you're inviting them into a new level of health, a new level of intimacy both with God and with people. This is the power of the gospel at work. Nothing is beyond hope. Nothing. No situation. I love that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we gather here, Lord, I'm, I'm aware of a couple things this morning. I'm aware that there's people in the room and even online who may have really serious hurts and wounds and places where they've been wronged and they need to forgive. And Lord, I pray that they could take that small step today to begin to appropriate the life and death and resurrection of our Jesus to forgive. Uh, Father, I'm also aware that there's others in the room who uh, know that they've caused hurt or pain or damage. And Lord, I pray that that group would be able to go to you, first of all, and go, Father, forgive me. But then be able to go to the people or, or peoples, persons that they've hurt, and begin to ask for that forgiveness. Father, my prayer for this church is that we would be a church that grasps and understands the depth and magnitude of that divine forgiveness, and then we become a people who engage that resurrection power of Jesus and ask and give forgiveness to those around us. Lord, I pray that we'd see marriages restored, roommate situations healed, father-son and father-daughter and mother-son and mother-daughter relationships restored, people who've been broken and hurt redeemed. Father, would you extend your grace and your forgiveness even as you sat on that cross, breathing, struggling for breath, and mustered all the strength of all eternity and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, would you extend that to us as people? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're here and you go, man, I've never heard anything like this guy. This is crazy. I don't even know who this Jesus is, but I want some of it. It's a very simple pathway. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. If you're online or if you're here and you want to take that journey, come grab me. If you're online, I think Patrick's on there too. Tag him and he'll get you and I connected and we can talk, pray. If you're here and you need someone to pray with you because of a hurt in the past or perhaps because a hurt that you've caused or done, we'd love to talk. We'd love to pray. There'll be a few of us available. Do you guys have a song? Would you close us in a song? Let's do that. 
online, if you're listening, we're just going to sing and let the Holy Spirit work in and through us as we close.